Hello, my name is Hank Belfield, pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church in Chilhowee, Virginia. And I'm Jay Bennett, pastor at Neon Reformed Presbyterian Church in Neon, Kentucky. And I'm Corey Page, a student at Greenfield Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And we're we're the the Geneva Geneva Mountain Boys. We want to welcome you to this next edition of our podcast, and we want to pick up where we left off from last time. If you've been following us, you know that we are in a series on creeds, and particularly the Apostles' Creed. And so far, we've talked a little bit about what creeds are. We've talked a little bit about the structure of this particular creed and its origins. And we've talked uh, about the doctrine of the Trinity, because this creed is most certainly Trinitarian in its orientation and its layout. And so today we want to pick up where we left off last time and uh, get into uh, the details of the doctrine of the Trinity. We've, we've spoken about it in a more general fashion, but today we want to start looking at the different persons of the Trinity and uh, their particular attributes, as well as uh, the various activities that are attributed to each person of the Trinity. And so today we're going to be delving into the issue of the Father, God the Father. But before we get there, there might uh, be some wisdom in talking a little bit about this whole idea of belief. Uh, We've uh, categorized uh, that credo means to believe, and we want to um, re-emphasize the reality that belief has content. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we note about the Apostles' Creed is that each of the three paragraphs Uh, begin with the same words, I believe in. And that says something about the nature of faith, and it says something about the structure of these creeds. So let's begin there, gentlemen, and then we'll delve into the issue of uh, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. What, What does the fact that these words are repeated, I believe in, tell us about uh, the nature of faith and the mm. nature of the creed itself. Mm. The, the idea of belief here is not just a head knowledge. Mm. It's not just something that uh, when somebody asks you about a certain issue, you just give them an answer off the top of your head. But this is a heart knowledge, if you want to put it that way, uh, that impacts everything about who you are, your faith and your practice, how you look at God, how you follow Him, um, what you're believing in, like I said, it's not a head knowledge, but it should be something that impacts your everyday walk. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Historically, uh, the Protestant tradition has defined saving faith over and against Roman Catholicism by speaking of it in terms of three aspects. Um, It's first knowledge. So it has content. It's knowledge. It's assent to the truth of the facts that that have been expressed. Uh, And then thirdly, it's personal trust. And that's what you're getting at there, I think, uh, Corey, is is to actually uh, trust in what you believe to be true, to trust in the one who is the object of your faith. And, of course, uh, the object of the Christian faith is the triune God. Uh, Think about it in terms of um, how we might say we know or we assent to the truth of or we trust in. Uh, We might think about it like this. To say the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Son of God became man and lived and died so that sinners might be redeemed from the estate of sin and misery into an estate of grace. 
to say that that's content, that's knowledge. Mm. You know, you, you may know that, but you may reject that that's true. You may say, well, that's that's just a fairy tale that someone made up in order to control the masses. So that's not saving faith. Yeah, it, it's one thing to know how a plane works. It's another thing to actually get on the plane. Right, exactly. Yeah. So so you might know it, but then reject the truthfulness of it. Right. So uh, that's something that the demons don't even do. Right. Okay, right. But the demons acknowledge the truthfulness of that statement uh, that, that I made previously about Jesus. You see that in the scriptures. Uh, when uh, Jesus encounters the, the demon-possessed uh, man um, in the Gadarenes, um, the demon professes the truth about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so he assents to the truth of the knowledge of who Jesus is. So there's knowledge, there's assent, but it's still not saving faith because the demon isn't personally trusting in Jesus. In fact, he's wanting Jesus to get away from him. Mm-hmm. So the the third aspect of saving faith is, of course, um, uh, personal trust. And, and this is where you go from the, the, the standpoint of, okay, I know about the gospel. I believe the gospel's true to, I believe that the gospel's actually true for me, that it applies to me, uh, that it's life-changing for me. To put it in concrete terms, I believe that Jesus lived and died and now lives again for me personally. That would be a true and saving faith. All three of those elements together is what constitutes saving faith. And the distinction between the Protestant understanding of saving faith and Roman Catholic understanding of saving faith is extremely important because the Roman Catholics would say, no, there's a fourth mark, a fourth aspect of saving faith, and it's love. So the love that is produced in my heart as I cooperate with God's grace is itself part of saving faith. And we would say, of course, that's a blurring of the lines. Yeah, that's a blurring of the lines between justification and sanctification. You can't maintain the distinction between justification and sanctification if you define faith that way. And so sola fide then goes out the door. Uh, So we would not define it that way at all. Uh, Paul says uh, clearly in Romans uh, 3, what is it, 28, we believe, we recognize... Uh, that a person is saved by faith and not by works of the law. Now, if the law is essentially to love God and love our neighbor, then faith can't be loved there. It's not possible. Faith, when it comes to our justification, is not love. Love is the, the fruit, the evidence of a true and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important to recognize that, I think, but... Um, yeah. But as far as the creed goes, when it says, I believe in, essentially what it's saying is uh, there's a content to our faith. Faith isn't a leap in the dark, right? I mean, this is what some liberal theologians have said over the history of the church, is that uh, when it comes to saving faith, essentially what we're saying is we can't know we're blind to uh, the things of God, and so we just kind of take a leap in the dark, and we hope things turn out okay. That's not faith. Faith isn't taking a risk. Mm-hmm. Faith has content. Faith uh, should produce within us a sense of certainty and assurance uh, in the one that we believe in. So um, uh, the creed is wonderful in that respect. It's acknowledging that there's a content to our faith. And that content is, uh, is a certainty. Uh, the object of our faith is the triune God. Uh, and so we can be assured uh, of him and, and his, 
So every time we're saying, I believe, we're not just saying we know these facts about the triune God, but we're saying we know them and we trust them. That's right. We trust them. And, and this, is the, this is the God that we worship, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it, it's a statement of worship, really. Mm-hmm. That's why it's yeah. fitting to... It's fitting to worship. That's right. To recite it, to confess yeah. it in worship. Uh, um, I don't know who said it. It was probably Carl Truman, but uh, I can't remember. But someone said recently, uh, a faith worth having is a faith worth confessing. Uh, and so, again, that's just Romans 10, isn't it? Uh, we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouths. Um, uh, then, uh, you know, so that idea of confessing with the mouth is important. And that, that's what we would do in worship as we recite a creed like this. So let's see what we confess about the Father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, maybe to simplify it, then we we see that faith. Um, you mentioned knowledge, assent, and trust, and I've heard it defined in terms of the mind, the heart, and the will. Yeah. And and yeah. trust is that uh, sense of reliance upon. Um, I love the illustration that um, you don't really trust in a chair until you sit. In the chair, mm-hmm. and you cease to put your weight on your own two feet and rest that weight upon mm-hmm. the chair. Yeah, that's when you've actually exercised the fullness of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important too, because we do need to recognize in this world there are a lot of people. You mentioned the demons, Jay, that believe, even shudder, mm-hmm. but lack that true saving faith. That we have to distinguish this because in the world there will be a lot of people who will say, "Well, I believe in Jesus," mm-hmm. but you got to go deeper than that. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. And how is it impacting you? Yeah. Um, have you, as it were, taken the weight off your own two feet, spiritually speaking, mm-hmm. and really rested upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Only then do you have saving faith, mm-hmm. not just mental assent, mm-hmm. or even an emotional response <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's ongoing um, we don't just believe once uh, we believe ongoingly mm-hmm. um, it's in the present progressive sense mm-hmm. I continue to believe I am believing right. um, all right so I believe in uh, we, we we talked about and Jay you said that the, the real heart of what we believe or who we believe in is is God um, but we could even extend that out, not just God, but what he's done mm-hmm. and the promises he's made. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Mm-hmm. So there's that sense of a fiducial element, the, the element of trust, believing in the person, but but not just in the person's being and existence, Um their attributes and character, which certainly we have here in this creed, but also what that person has done. Mm -hmm. And in the context of what has been accomplished, what promise is being held forth. And so this creed, we see that. We see both an emphasis upon believing in each person, God the Father, Mm -hmm. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but also what each person has done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Creation, redemption, sanctification, glorification, as we Mm -hmm. talked about in a prior session. Um, so let's talk about God the Father. Do you mind if I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, we didn't plan on this, uh, but why do you men think the scriptures um, primarily refer to the Father as just God? Well, that's an interesting point, um, interesting question. 
I, I think that um, we need to recognize that God exists, as we talked about in the in our prior session, um, as a being who is divine and has certain attributes, and this is true of every single person. The Son is no less God than the Father, and the Spirit is no less God than the Son or the Father. But at the same time, we do see in Scripture the designation that oftentimes we find the Father being described as God, and we see Jesus being described as Son. Um, and I think part of that stems to the fact of functionality mm. of the second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, uh, we don't usually uh, encounter God the Holy Spirit, but we know from the way the Spirit is described, the Holy Spirit is divine. Right. I think it, 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 it's putting the emphasis uh, functionally on the Father, mm. but recognizing, as we've been trying to do, that ontologically as pertains to essence or substance we don't put one in front of the other mm -hmm. and and you see that even in jesus's own statements when he says on the one hand i and the father are one mm -hmm. there is an emphasis upon substance mm -hmm. on uh, the essence but he says the father is greater than i there's an emphasis on a functionality mm -hmm. so I, that, that's partly how I understand it, but uh, Jay, you might want to chime in on that. I, yeah, I think uh, it's a really good question, and um, uh, I think that uh, the, the first uh, thought that came to mind when you asked that question, Corey, for me, was um, the fact that Jesus is oftentimes called the Son of God. Mm -hmm. In what sense is Jesus the Son of God? Uh, he's not the Son of God by virtue of his relation to the divine nature because his relation to the divine, divine nature is no different from the father's or the spirit's right. relation to the divine nature he's the son of god in relation to the father and so i think that kind of language of the son of god or the spirit of god is to relationship to the father of god with respect to both the persons because the spirit's not also called this is not only called the spirit of god but also the spirit of christ so you see procession from the Father and the Son, right? Um, and I think it gets back to the historical unfolding of Revelation, or so progressive Revelation. The emphasis that you find in the Old Testament uh, is that God is one. Um, I think you find an emphasis on the Father throughout the Old Testament. And it's the sending of the Son in the Incarnation that then fully discloses the triune nature of God. And so given that kind of, that kind of historical progressive layout of God's self-revelation, it becomes kind of natural to speak of the Father as God, the God who has sent his Son, and the two who then have sent the Spirit so I think it's a function of the, again, the progressive revelation of, of God and the fact that in the Old Testament, the Trinity is still concealed, whereas in the New Testament, it's revealed. I, I, but I think your question is, is, is excellent to ask because yeah, yes. when you good. look at the structure of the creed, you do notice it doesn't say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in God, the Son, Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Holy Spirit. It, it leaves that out. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that's because that's the way the Bible oftentimes speaks. Mm -hmm. we, we often see 
um, the designation God associated with the Father. And we often see a designation of Lord or Savior associated with the Son. And you do notice in the second paragraph, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So I think in many respects, it's, it's utilizing the biblical designation. Now, that doesn't mean we can't find instances in Scripture mm-hmm. where the designation God is given to the Son right. or the designation God Absolutely. is given to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We do find instances. Mm-hmm. But comparatively speaking, right. God is associated with the Father. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're seeing here is just the, the creed is reflecting, reflecting the biblical emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing with you know Almighty, and not, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but we don't see Almighty associated in the following paragraphs with the Son or the Holy Spirit. That's not to deny that as pertains to the essence of the other two persons of the Trinity, that they are Almighty. It's just to say that in Scripture, we see this attribute more associated with the one person than the other. Right. And I think that's what you're seeing here. Mm -hmm. This creed is reflecting biblical language. Mm -hmm. And um, while we can tease these things out and understand them, which is what we're doing in these casts, um, we do recognize that this is reflective of biblical Mm -hmm. language. Yeah, and and systematically, too, as as you read it, I believe in God the Father. Right. Automatically, in that designation, the Father is presumed the son because there's no such thing as a father apart from the son yep is god the father eternal yes if he's eternally father then his son must also be eternal right eternally son so he's not only eternally father he's eternally son and he's eternally spirit right three three persons and to me that's one of the the wonders about this creed It is so, on the surface, it is so simply stated. It's Mm -hmm. succinct. Mm -hmm. It's short. It's concise. But as you begin to meditate upon its implications, Mm -hmm. just like, as you said, Jay, rightly, the moment you say, God, the Father, what does that imply? Mm -hmm. There has to be at least a child in this whole thing. You can't be a father without a child. Um, And we know the child is the only begotten son. So as you start meditating upon it, you begin to realize its implications Mm -hmm. ripple out and go far Mm -hmm. and deep. Um, This is a creed that um, used in baptismal formulas is Mm -hmm. concise and to the point can be uh, succinctly stated, but at the same time is profound in its implications. Oh, yeah, definitely. To me, that's one of the wonderful things about it. Mm Yeah, I think the, the even the layout of the creed, which we've already mentioned uh, several times in a previous podcast, I think we focused upon this, and we've already said it in this podcast, I think a couple of times as well, you said it, Hank. The layout of the creed is, as, is an historical unfolding. Mm-hmm. God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. So there's the creation, there's everything that's happened in the past in the Old Testament, maker of heaven and earth, and then of course the fall of humanity, and now he's uh, remaking heaven and earth. Uh, he's bringing forth a new creation. And how's he going to do that? Well, he's sending his son, his eternally begotten son, into the world. That's the second part of the creed, is the work of the son to redeem us in space and time. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit being sent to uh, apply that work to God's elect people. Right. So, so I mean, you yeah. you kind of see the creed laid out on those three levels. And we mm-hmm. talked about this in the past, yeah. so I don't want to rehash it. But, I mean, you see each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see uh, the emphasis that Scripture lays upon each 
person's uh, primary function, not, mm-hmm. to, not to deny that function to the other persons of the mm-hmm. Trinity, mm-hmm. but Father as Creator, uh, Son as Redeemer, Spirit as Sanctifier and right. Glorifier, but you also see in that, as you're saying, mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and we should be clear, too, when we talk about function, and when you talk about function, uh, Hank, I know that you don't mean eternal functional subordination or anything like that, no. which has been a... a a controversy, uh, at least popularly, uh, for the last couple of years. But you're speaking in terms of um, the uh, carrying out of God's decree, of, of the covenant of redemption, of the economic trinity, and how God has determined to reveal himself, to manifest himself to his creation uh, in the works of creation and providence, and specifically and particularly in the work of redemption. Right. Um, that's what you mean by, yes. by that kind of uh, functional differentiation between the, the roles of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And those things, of course, are fitting with the eternal relations, um, the, the order of subsistence, uh, these different ways have been referred to of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, because the Father, of course, is unbegotten, the mm-hmm. Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds from the right. Father and the Son. But so my point is simply to say that there's, there's attributes that make each person distinct. Yes. But at the same time, we never see those as denying the essence of divinity fully to each person. And as we said, I think in a previous cast podcast that uh, the mystery is it's not that each person is one third, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not that the father is one third of God and the son is one third of God and the spirit's one third of God. And together they, they make, God the whole yeah each person is fully God yeah and that's the grand mystery and yet they're distinct persons yeah. with unique characteristics that make them the persons they are right Father Son Holy Spirit that's right all right um let's 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 uh, <clears throat> we're, we're kind of coming down the the, the, the the stretch here um, but let's talk about uh, father so we've mm. already mentioned briefly that it, the moment you designate, the one person of the Trinity as Father, that has implications for his interaction and relationship to other persons in the Trinity. Um, So he's the Father in the sense that he has a Son, and that Son is um, the only begotten Jesus Christ. Um, But there's also a sense in which his fatherhood relates to us as those who are image bearers to him. So I want to talk about these two levels. Let's talk first about how God is the father of the son, Jesus Christ, but also that God is the father uh, in, in a more generic sense uh, over humanity and how, how biblically we should rightly understand that fatherhood over mm-hmm. humanity mm-hmm. because there is a nuance that needs to be very carefully observed. So let's start with the, the father's relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Comments there? Well, the, uh, I think the first place we should start is the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father begets the Son. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the only begotten of the Father. Uh, he is uh, eternally Son to the Father. You, you see this uh, throughout Scripture, um, but... Uh, one place in particular is uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer where he speaks to the Father and he talks about the glory that he had with the Father before the world was created. Uh, you see it in John chapter 1, the, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
You see it wherever the scriptures attribute uh, the work of creation to the Son, um, that, that he is eternal with the Father. So, uh, so there's an eternal relation between the Father and the Son as the one who begets, of course that's the Father, and the one who is begotten, uh, that is the Son. And the Father and the Son live in a, a mutual relationship of love towards one another uh, eternally. They're eternally blessed, and, and there's an eternal communion and fellowship between uh, the Father and the Son. Not to leave out the, the Spirit, but we're just not there. Yeah, before the foundation of the world, so that, that so that that God is complete in and of Himself. You know what is it in Jerry Maguire? What is Tom Cruise's uh, show character? Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> no, that, no, that's that, no, it's not the show me the money part, but where where he says to her, um, "You complete me." Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, there's no Jerry Maguire moment in God where he's looking at the creation and going, "You complete me." God doesn't need anything outside of Himself to be complete. Uh, he is complete. He is interpersonal in and of himself so yeah i mean a lot a lot could be said on it but that's the i think that's the place to start and then when you get into the incarnation you you see uh more of this and 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 really the incarnation is the the revelation of this eternal relationship between the father and the son there's a something you said there um i think it's important too the the fact that these designations that god has revealed about himself in the three persons, particularly the first and the second person, it's familial, mm-hmm. and that suggests an intimacy. Yeah, you know, not just fellowship in a general sense, but an intimate fellowship too. That's right. Which which stems to eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives it gives a whole new meaning to the what John says in First John. God is love, right? right? God's not just love in the sense of sitting there with no one to love. Right. The father loves the son, and the son loves the father, and the, the, you know they they have their own self consciousness, yeah. even though they share the same will. You know they operate according to that will uh, differently. Right. Uh, the father's not the son; the son's not the father, and they and there's this mutual love exchange uh, for all eternity. That's right. It's wonderful. This is actually what we are redeemed into. This is the glory of redemption. The glory of redemption isn't that we're saved from hell. That's not it. It's that we're saved unto or right. into the eternal relationship of love between the Father and the Son. Of course, always in a creaturely sense, but we do partake of the divine nature. I, I was about to say that's and that the, was Athanasius' big that's right. partakers of the divine. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but the Holy Spirit is the personal subsistence that proceeds from the Father and the Son that is, that is their love to one another. Yeah. Well, let's, because um, I'm looking at my timer here and I realize we're getting close to the end. Let's talk briefly then about how that extends to man's relation mm-hmm. to God. Uh, we know that man is created in God's image. Um, but we also know that Adam is referred to as the son of God. Uh, right. Uh, Wasn't David explicitly called that as yes, well in his role as As the king? Messiah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so this idea of sonship comes into play in our relationship as human beings to God. Here's my question. Is there any sense in which we can speak about humanity in general as being in a childlike relationship, a son's relationship to the Father? When when we call God, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, does that have any implications for humanity in general? Mm -hmm. 
And then, second part to that question, is there any sense in which that is unique to the redeemed? As far as um, in a general sense, absolutely, we can say that as well. Um, we look at Malachi 2.10. It says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one cre- God created us? Um, so that kind of idea. But also, too, in Acts 17.28, where it says, In Him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Mm-hmm. So he's our creator. He's our maker. Mm-hmm. You can't deny that. Right. But there is a sense that it can be more specific. Are you the offspring of the woman? Mm-hmm. Or are you the offspring of, of Satan? Mm-hmm. Of the serpent? Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that brings us to... More specific. More specifically mm-hmm. to, to what John says in First John. Mm-hmm. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, speaking of believers, that we should be called children of God. And um, he goes further on to say in verse 10 of chapter 3, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So I... I think that's important to see that if we talk about the fatherhood of God in terms of his creating of all mankind, uh, his bestowal of his image upon humanity, uh, first in the person of Adam, Mm -hmm. um, we can say, if we're careful, (laughs) that there's a sense in which God is father of all. But we have to be careful here right? because we want to recognize that the fall had an impact Mm -hmm. and that Man is in open rebellion against God, and while the image is not wholly lost, it is greatly marred. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that there is a sense in redemptive terms, right. mm-hmm. not creative terms, but in redemptive yeah. terms, that we can say there are some in humanity that are sons of God. That's right. And there are some in humanity who are sons of the devil. Mm-hmm. And that's what just John is just saying. because Isaac or Jacob and Esau came from the same loins doesn't necessarily mean that they're both the offspring of the woman. Right. Do you want to put it that mm-hmm. way? Right. That's a good point. And, I, you know, I, um, I think you, you made the distinction there, Hank, that's key. If we're going to speak of all humanity without exception uh, in terms of a, a, a familial kind of father-son relationship to God, if we're going to speak in those terms, we have to remember we're speaking in terms of God as creator mm-hmm. and God as provider god is sustainer mm-hmm. we're speaking in terms of his work of creation and his general work of providence but we're not taking in, into account at that point specifically the fall of humanity and god as our judge yes and we think about god as our judge and also along with that as our redeemer then it's false to say right that Everyone without exception right. is a child of the Father. And this is why the Bible speaks of the unconverted as children of wrath or sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2. Right. Um, and why it speaks of only those who have been converted uh, as the adopted sons and daughters of God, that we are the, the children uh, of the Father. So there's a, a there, we you know we we have in our ordo salutis of course um, uh, the doctrine of adoption right 
So uh, the issue of uh, having been justified, we are in fact adopted as mm-hmm. as the children of God. So that's a transition that's happened from one familial unit, namely, as you mentioned, Corey, the seed of the serpent, into another familial unit, which is the seed of the woman, the church, which is, of course, the family and household of God right. uh, mm-hmm. on earth. And God does make a distinction between those who are his people and those who aren't. Absolutely. I mean, we see that in yeah. um, his judgments upon Egypt. Right. Um, that's right. He, he makes that very clear, that I may show mm-hmm. that I make a distinction between my people right. and those who are not. I think practically speaking, practically speaking, the way the doctrine of the general providential fatherhood of God for everyone without exception, the way that should be applied practically speaking is to emphasize the sinfulness of sin. So why is it so evil for a person to turn away and to hate the triune God? Well, our one answer would be because the triune God is your creator. He is your sustainer. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. He expresses his love to you in a general providential sense like uh, like that every day. Mm -hmm. And yet you turn away from his love, yet you reject and spurn his love. Mm -hmm. Even though he's a father who holds his hands out to you, you spit in his face Mm -hmm. each day. And so it emphasizes the inexcusability of our sin before God and the personally offensive nature of our sin to God. That it's not just we've broken a rule. No, it's that we have slapped our father in the face. The one who loves us, the one who created us, you know, this idea. Mm-hmm. It makes sin all the all the worse, right. really. Well, at least in the way we conceive of it. Right. And and as us as believers, we understand he is a good father. Yes, he, absolutely. He loves us. Yeah. He yeah. he gave us his only begotten son. Yeah. Um, he gives us his spirit so that we may understand him further and walk and have communion with one another. Um, yeah, yeah. And the emphasis the the emphasis on the um, the badness of sin, if you will, is also emphasizes the goodness right. of, of the work of redemption mm-hmm. and the extent to which God has gone to, to offer up uh, yeah. his. his only begotten Son on the cross for our salvation. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own Son. There you go. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We're, yeah, uh, that's Ephesians. Right. We are blessed in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yeah, we're getting ready to preach now, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to finish this particular um, episode of our podcast on that positive note because I think it is important for us to see that as we profess in the Apostles' Creed, our belief in God the Father, we are not simply acknowledging that general sense in, in, in creation that he is mm-hmm. good to all, but we're acknowledging that he's our Father, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we are putting our trust in him, and that because we have the spirit of adoption within us through the Lord Jesus Christ's work, we can say, Abba, Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of our podcast. We are thankful that you have joined us, and we hope that you are being edified by the things that we're discussing. And uh, we uh, trust that God uh, is watching over you and giving you blessings for this day. Please join us next time as we continue our journey through the Apostles' Creed.